1: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
2: That's what Paul's saying here to, to all of us and to Timothy. He's like, you know, just be faithful to the good confession. You know, be true to your testimony. Don't deny the faith. Don't be embarrassed about knowing Jesus. Be faithful in your testimony of Jesus. Don't care so much about what other people think of you. You know, live your life to honor Jesus. Don't worry about who doesn't like that you love Jesus. Live your life in such a way that you hold on to that good confession.
1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Timothy. Whenever you go to social gatherings that are likely to consist of mostly non-believers, you find yourself suppressing your zeal or passion for Christ, or maybe you're shy and timid in nature and have a hard time interacting with others to begin with. In today's message, Pastor Gary reflects on what it means to hold fast to the confession of our faith as believers. In his study, you'll learn the importance of boldly standing for Christ, no matter what the opinions of others might be or how they treat you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: Unfortunately, people think that coming to faith in Jesus is a stepping stone to material success or happiness. And you may experience material success and happiness uh, after coming to know Christ or before coming to know Christ, but what we need to realize is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, I mean, what we gain is what we don't deserve anyway. And what we gain is forgiveness and redemption and acceptance, and and for that we have an eternal inheritance in, in heaven, okay? But if we think this life in following Christ is all about just how my life can be improved and what I gain out of it we are sadly mistaken because the christian life is about dying to self and it's about taking up your cross daily and dying to self and it's about living a sacrificial life for the glory of god and it is it is about seeing ourselves as dead and alive in christ And no longer living for the pleasures of this world or for what I can get out of it, but it's what... What I can give to the kingdom, how I can serve the kingdom, how I can honor the Lord in my life of sacrifice and self denial and just dying to self. So I think we have kind of almost a Western concept of Christianity these days where we think, you know, come to Christ and Jesus makes you rich and Jesus, you know, um, you never have another sickness in your life. And if you do, it's because you don't have enough faith and all this kind of nonsense, gang. And listen, what God calls us to is a sacrificial life of following Jesus because we can never. Ever outgive what God has given to us and what we gain in Christ in terms of his forgiveness far exceeds anything that we could ever hope or imagine and what God has done on, on our behalf that we didn't deserve and so he that there's just this warning here you know don't think that God lives as this means to just a more comfortable life and a more you know financially uh, beneficial life God may bless you financially, but he's going to go into this next section and talk more specifically about money, so let's let's talk about it. Verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. That's a great verse. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Circle the word contentment. That really is the issue in our lives, is contentment. We're often discontent because we never think that what we have is enough. In Philippians chapter 4... Paul would write in verses 10 through 12, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, for you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content... In any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So, one key to godliness, he says here, is contentment. Just be content be content. Now that doesn't mean you should never achieve. That doesn't mean you should never desire to be promoted or desire to have a, a raise in your salary. But if, if those things are our ambition, if those things are the driving thing behind us, instead of the drive to be more like Jesus, then we're not content. We're going to be constantly just, you know, feeling like we're lacking and we never have enough. So he cautions here, godliness with contentment is great gain. And he adds, verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. You know, I, all three of my kids, I was there when they were born. Not one of them came with a wallet. <laughs> they quickly wanted one when they were old enough to know that I had one, but nobody, they, they didn't come in with a wallet or a cell phone. It was amazing. Uh, they were born with nothing. Uh, Job said in Job 121, Naked I came into my mother's womb, uh, from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. I, mean, I came naked, I'm going to depart naked, I didn't have anything when I came, I ain't going to take anything with me. He adds in verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, notice he's talking about the basic essential elements, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. In verse 9 and 10, he says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin And destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Question Is money bad? No. Money is not bad, and that's not what he's saying here. And I know some people who misquote this verse from time to time, who talk about how money is the root of all evil. That's a misquoting of the verse. It doesn't say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says in verse 10, what's, what, is the, what is the real problem? The love of money. It's the love of money. In the Greek, it is uh, philaguria from two Greek words, philos, meaning love, and argos, meaning silver. So it literally means just the love of silver, the obsession with it, the covetousness of it, the the greed of it, the love of that is... A root, not the only root, but a root of all kinds of evil, and he talks about how you know people you know eager for for money with that obsession plunge themselves into ruin and destruction, and some people eager wander from the faith, pierce themselves with many griefs. I mean, we we don't have to look very far to understand a lot of different stories that have emerged as the result of the harm that money can do in the hands of people who don't understand the right management of it. Uh, Not just the squandering of it. I'm talking about, you know, how many foolish, wicked things have been done over money? How many people have fought over money? How many families have been split because somebody's will was read and now there's a fight in the family over money? How many people have gotten divorced over money. I mean, money can do crazy things to people. How many people have been murdered over money? And again, it's probably because I watch too many forensic files. But I mean, you know, it's the classic you know take an insurance policy on the husband or the wife and then all of a sudden they end up dead you know a life insurance policy that's worth you know hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars all of a sudden they were people do crazy wicked evil things over money i mean how many people have secrets of the united states i mean people have have betrayed their own country and betrayed people over money so this kind of thing we we don't have to you know debate this, everybody understands that money in the hands of wrong people with wrong motives who love it too much uh, is likely to cause people to do some very crazy and evil things. And he says here that in verse 10, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. The word wander is a Greek word that can mean seduced. So you can be seduced by money. You can be seduced by the love of it, by the power of it, by the pursuit of it. And Jesus even warns in Matthew six twenty four that we cannot serve God and money because they will end up both competing with, with each other. So there's only one master in our lives, and it's either going to be God or not. And a lot of people will end up, if it's not God, making material things their God. And Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money as masters. You're either going to hate one and be devoted to the other or the other way around. And so there are too many people who are devoted to money like it's a God, and, and they have sold their souls for money. So, so there's this caution here, but also realize that the whole counsel of scriptures basically teaches us that money makes a terrible master, but it makes a wonderful servant. And money in the hands of godly people who understand the right stewardship of it, that all of it comes from the hand of God and all of it belongs to God and we're just entrusted with it to manage it and to use it, money can then be used for great purposes for the glory of God. Okay, now I don't say this disparaging poor people, but no poor people builds churches. No poor people build hospitals, build orphanages, okay? Wealthy people... Build churches and hospitals and orphanages and homes for unwed mothers. So it's not like money's evil. It's not like don't ever make money. Okay? The Bible is not like putting down success and achievement and accomplishment. It's warning, though, the potential of greed and covetousness in our own hearts. And the remedy to, to being free from greed and covetousness is generosity. That's always the remedy. If you have a fear of being, I don't want to be greedy, I don't want to be covetous, then be generous. And Paul, if he actually glanced down further to verse 18 where Paul says in verse 18, command them to do do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So he even reminds us that the key to not being consumed and obsessed with money or material things is to always practice generosity. What God wants from us is an open hand, not a tight fist. That's what God always wants. So his warning here against those who are tight-fisted It's warning here against those who it's all about money, that's their ambition, God's not priority, just make sure that God is the Lord of your life, not material things, and then use what God has given you for the furtherance of the kingdom, and to honor God, and to glorify Him, because when God blesses you, He blesses you for a reason, and the reason is not that you might just retain it all and hoard it all, but the reason is that you might be a conduit, the reason is that you might be a funnel of what God has given you know what did God say to Abraham when God blessed Abraham so much? I will bless you that you might be a blessing. And when God blesses you, he blesses you in order to be a blessing. Now, along these lines, let me put some things in perspective. And I think it's important for us as Americans to always get the right perspective. So Forbes magazine, a couple of years ago on Forbes.com, you can look this up. Just to help us get a perspective. The typical person in the United States of America in the bottom 5% of the distribution of income okay so the 5% the lowest 5% of americans in terms of economic class are better off than 68% of the rest of the world the lowest 5 the poorest person in the united states is wealthier than 68% of the rest of the world's population. To give you an even greater perspective, if you are stuck in the lowest 5% of U.S. income, your standard of living is equal to that of the top 5% of the entire country of India. Let me say that again. If you're in the lowest 5% bracket in the United States... The equivalency is you're in the upper 5% of the entire country of India, over 4 billion people. 95% of them are living inferior to your lifestyle. So it's an amazing thing when we stop and consider just perspective for a little bit. Uh, Huffington uh, Post, um, there was an article that somebody wrote, let me see if I have it here somewhere. Um, Which I thought also kind of helps us to get perspective. I'm just going to read a little excerpt of it. With money, there is no such thing as enough. Unlike food, entertainment, sleep, or social outings, few people ever say that is sufficient, no more needed. There is no X amount of dollars in the bank that feels satisfying. In fact, a multimillionaire I know in San Francisco said to me once when I asked him why he works at a job he doesn't like, he answered, you can never have enough money. He says, if we live a life of comparison, we set ourselves up for misery. Someone else will always have a bigger house, a grander wedding, fancier vacation. This never, ever, ever ends, no matter how hard you work, what you buy or where you live. This is a this is like a trap. This article says we we start out small, get a little promotion, we're thrilled. My first job paid me 28,000. This article says I got a promotion of 35,000. I thought it was the high I thought I was the highest roller for a couple of weeks and over the course of my career I earned 50,000, then I earned 100,000 and so forth. None of which seemed enough after a couple of months in my new salary bracket. Very quickly as human beings become used to each new standard of living and want more. Psychologists call this hedonic hedonic, from hedonist, hedonic adaptation. He said, we get used to our upgrades very quickly, and if you own a boat and a cool car, you'll be looking achingly at a yacht and the newer version of your already sweet ride pretty soon. And then he adds this, and I thought this was a pretty interesting comment. True wealth is an internal condition, and the sooner we make up our minds that we have enough, no matter our circumstances, the happier we are. I think in a secular sense, he was trying to say what Paul was saying in a biblical sense, you know, contentment is the real key. So again, John Wesley once said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. So the Bible is not a downer on achievement, accomplishment, and making money, but the Bible is a strong warner about how the power of money can sometimes control us, and we become obsessive, and we serve money as a God instead of the Lord. So be good steward of what God has given you. And bless the kingdom... And bless others and be a funnel for God's goodness to be a blessing. Now, he's going to come back to money a little bit on the end, but let's carry on to verse 11. He says, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Now, I want you to notice there in verse 11, he says, Flee from all this. I ended up counting seven final exhortations of Paul in this last section to Timothy, which I think are good for all of us. He's going to say to him, flee. These these are the the commands, the imperatives. Flee, fight, take hold of, keep, command, talking about as a pastor, command others, guard, and turn away from. So let's make our way through this passage and, and see... How He uses these words. So again, flee from all this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. Okay, Paul's going to reiterate that in his next letter, 2 Timothy 4, 7. Paul's going to say about himself, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. So he warns us, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession. In the presence of many witnesses. Okay, talking about, you know, Romans 10, 9 and 10 is with your heart you believe and and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And so, you know, to confess Jesus as Lord, he says, hold on to that. Verse 13, in the sight of God who gives life to everyone, everything rather, and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Okay, now what was that good confession? Well, basically when Jesus was standing in front of Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate, prodded him with a few questions for example in Matthew 27 11 Pilate said are you the king of the Jews Jesus said it is as you say so he's he's giving a faithful testimony I am a king of the Jews but I'm not of this world I'm of a greater kingdom Jesus would also say to Pilate in John 19 verse 11 you would have no power over me except that it was given to you by my father which is in heaven So he testifies to the sovereignty of God. So there are different things in that conversation of Jesus in front of Pontius Pilate where Jesus is just being in the face of death, faithful to the end. And that's what Paul's saying here to to all of us and to Timothy. He's like, you know, just be faithful to the good confession. You know, be true to your testimony. Don't deny the faith. Don't be embarrassed about knowing Jesus. Be faithful in your testimony of Jesus. Don't care so much about what other people think of you. You know, live your life to honor Jesus. Don't worry about who doesn't like that you love Jesus. Live your life in such a way that you hold on to that good confession. He says, I charge you, verse 14, to keep this command without spot or blame unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, as Jesus coming again, which God will bring about in his own time, God the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Okay, John would also say in 1 John 1.5 that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Verse 17, Paul says to Timothy, and I want you to command these things. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Isn't that good? Amen? Everything, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights. He does not change like shifting shadows, James tells us. And he adds in verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. You know, God makes us wealthy in many ways besides materially, right? So be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation notice this they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life you know Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 he said something similar he says do not In Matthew 6, 19 to 21, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there will your heart be also. I really do believe that Jesus meant, and I think Paul reinforces it here, that you can actually use the money that God blesses you with to make an eternal investment, that we can, by virtue of how we are good stewards of what God has given us in this lifetime, use our finances in a way that have eternal dividends. You know, to, to, to use money for the advancement of the gospel, and that in its various forms. So build an orphanage that shares the gospel, that brings Christ as centric to those orphans you know, home for un- unwed mothers, and again, building churches and hospitals. Wherever the gospel can be advanced, and you have that ability to, to financially advance it in a way, you're making an eternal investment that pays eternal dividends because it translates in a way of being used for the glory of God in the, in the advancement of the gospel for the transformation of souls. So, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting concept here. We talked about, you know, don't light up here on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then he adds there at the end, verse verse twenty, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. You can insert your own name there. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. And then as Paul ends most of his letters, grace be with you. Amen.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary's teaching in First Timothy may be at an end today, but you are encouraged to continue studying for yourself. God speaks through His Word, and He wants to interact with you as you read. We're so glad you joined us, and we'd like to let you know that we're praying for you, our valued listener, with each new edition of this program. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could specifically be lifting up to the Lord, or anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? If so, please let us know. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. That number again is 703-771-1500. Would you join us in praying for your fellow listeners too? Pray that the gospel message would be heard loud and clear every time they tune in and that their hearts would be changed by Christ. Pray too for Pastor Gary and this ministry that we would remain focused on God's truth and not on what we desire. Thanks for praying. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, or if you're in the area and would like to come visit us in person, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Join Pastor Gary next time for more from 1 Timothy, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've
2: got no place to go But still you know not a